My name is Lex and this is Bronx. We bought and renovated this Airstream and this camper, this tiny home, then this Airstream, then another Airstream. And finally, we designed and built this tiny home. And now I'm on a mission to learn about the best travel experiences across the world. Welcome to Experiential Travel. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Experiential Travel Podcast. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur. So a lot of the times in these episodes, we talk to a host that has a property, has a property with seven cabins or a number of units on one property. This guest today has six properties with numerous amount of structures on each property. Anywhere from tiny homes to cabooses on trailers, uh, and they look like carriages. I mean, they his properties are magnificent, but today's episode is going to be a special one because what we're going to dive into is the business aspect of owning multiple properties rather than just the culmination of getting land, getting structures, and starting one property. So this is going to be a deeper dive into the actual business of creating resorts, experiential travel resorts, running a, a larger operation. And so I'm so excited for our guest today, Mr. Frank May. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Lexington, yeah, man, do so I have excited. to call you by all three syllables, or can I call you Lex, like Lex call, Please call me Lex. Please call me Lex. I actually went by Lexi okay, what, for the what, first 18 years of my life. Lexi. Lexi. Okay. No, no. no. Call, call me Lex, though. Call me Lex. Call me Lex. Lex. Okay. 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 Okay, Frank. So walk me to the beginning. How did this all start? You have five, six different properties. What was the first one? Where did this all, where did your journey begin with resorts, experiential travel resorts? Yeah. So it, you know, it, it it's an accident. Um, I didn't, I, I'm in retail historically and i have a chain of backyard living stores they were operating utah north carolina and tennessee and it was just we were tired of the neighbors that we were getting in a rental that was next door that shared a driveway with us so we bought the house renovated it flipped it on the airbnb in 2015 it was like hey this is kind of fun i mean <laughs> uh you know i mean we built a pool and we're hanging out with the guests at the pool and we're eating you know schmores and stuff and we had a bunch of kids, and so it was a nice little, um, you know, uh, uh, single-serve neighbors, uh, single-serve friends. And then uh, we, you know, at the, we lived right next to a trailer park. It, it was a very derelict trailer park. It was over 70 years old at the bottom of Lookout Mountain. And um, so, you know, I was looking over there, and this one home that we were operating was performing very well because we're one mile from town, but we're surrounded by national forest and we're very immersed in trees. You know, it's, you just feel like you're out in the woods, totally secluded. And then bam, you're right there in the middle of the city. So people, we, I knew we had something, you know, in the, in the location, there were challenges. We've, we've got trains nearby, but so we bought the trailer park and it's been, it's been about two years, uh, helping people move and tearing out condemned trailers and, you know, um, cutting up the chassis and, and hauling out the heavy steel. And, um, I mean, there were parts of it that were landfill, you know, where mm. the, things were just dumped and dumped and dumped and dumped for decades. And so there was a lot of work, uh, to get it ready. And I, I, I had ordered eight, uh, these, 
cabins uh, that came in on trucks, you know, and uh, they had wheels. And so we backed the eight up. But but then I find out because the Hamilton County government had never, they'd never done anything like this. Apparently we were, this was, I don't, I, I didn't think it was before its time, but tiny homes have sure become more the norm now. Uh, but at, at the time, they didn't know how to handle a tiny home, and they didn't know how to handle a multi-unit, single-owner STR complex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I was zoned R3, and I mean, there was a lot of debate. In, in Chattanooga, it's called the RPA, and they're like, what do we do? You know, And <laughs> so finally... They said, okay, you're going to have to get a C1 from an R3 and you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to get a special permit because single owner operator of, you know, multiple. And I got, I got permitted for 28 tiny homes, 28 of these little cabin things inside this park. Let me ask you this. Is the C1 a type of zoning? It is. So you had, you had to switch the zoning from residential or was it from an rv park it was um it was moderately dense residential so think of townhomes Mm -hmm. you know condos that's that's it it wasn't apartment it wasn't highly condensed it was moderately condensed (laughs) residential okay so yeah i mean it was i was behind the eight ball uh because here i got eight cabins. I've got every dollar that I could scrounge together, you know, to get sofas and toasters and, um, these eight cabins and I can't get power to them, uh, because I can't get them permitted because I can't get a rezone. Oh my and, um, so I had two power poles, uh, probably shouldn't go public with this, but I had two power poles in the, in the, um, complex and we ran power a very long distance. I had to buy wires, you know, to like create our own overhead system to get power to the multiple cabins off two poles. So I was able to run, I was able to run one, two, three, four, five, hold on. No, one, two, three, four. I was able to run six of the eight. Mm. Okay. And this was a period of about six months okay. that I ran six to the eight. Um, and then once all that stuff with the County got sorted out and everything, everything passed with no problem. And I was able to get power to each individual unit and I was able to run the power underground. Then I was in a scalable position. Right. And so the next two years we continued, you know, eight at a time. And now there's, there's 27 of the tiny homes. And then four custom homes. So I actually, other than the, the home we were raising our kids in, we moved out of, that's the 6,000 square footer. But then I built two customs. The one's called, it's a chalet, a Swiss chalet, kind of, you know, um, modeled it. But the you got to remember the whole ethos I'm going for is a kind of a campground. Mm-hmm. Um, it's national parkland. It's national forest. It's protected forest everywhere around us. Um, I've got trails all over the national forest land. And so I, I wanted to keep it very woody, very, you know, um, very rustic. And the, anyway, that did really well, but I 
being in retail and operating in multiple cities and multiple states, I had anything that I conceive of doing, I conceive it to scale, you know, like, and, and so here we are, you know, this, we got this budding resort over here in Chattanooga and it's booming and it's filling up and it's making a lot of money and, 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 and the retail business complements it because I sell patio furniture, hot tubs, swings, you know, outdoor swings and stuff like that. So I'm buying these wholesale, you know, uh, to get into, so I put hot tubs in every one of them. Well, let me tell you, when you got 31 hot tubs on one piece of property and you got to turn them over every single checkout mm-hmm. and you do one night stays, we'll have days where we're turning over 27 hot tubs, you know? And so there's, we have dedicated hot tub staff, <laughs> uh, need, needless to say, uh, that are full-time, you know, maintenance employees. Well, um, I remember talking to Charity, and, and she was my marketing girl for the Great Backyard, which is the retail. And I said, you know, one day uh, we're gonna get, we're gonna break out of the borders of this little Chattanooga place on Lookout Mountain, and we're gonna be somewhere else. And then I'm gonna need need a name. I'm gonna need a name to market them. And and so I recycled a name that I'd used in retail for a furniture line that I created. And then I had given up on Timberroot. And um, so we just pulled Timberroot, the logo, off the shelf. And we were rocking and ready to go. I had the domain. and um, But in the meantime, before Timberroot came off the shelf, I bought that resort in Utah. And um, so I got a restaurant now, you know, in Utah. And I got 23 units up in Duck, Duck Creek. And then, and then we bought this place on the Okoe River. We had, we had, we had six. Yeah. We had six at the time. Now we have nine. We got the wagons mm-hmm. there at Welcome Valley village on the Okoy river. And so we got the Conestoga wagons from North Utah shipped all the way from Logan. Um, and you know, there's, you see them in the West. I, I saw them in uh, Capitol reef and I saw them near Zion cause we have, place in zion and um so i'd I'd seen them pop up and they're really good you know for the dry weather um they're challenges they're they're higher maintenance if you're anything canvas is higher maintenance in the southeast yeah um because of the humidity and the green everything's green i mean green grows on everything just like washington's coasts you know that rainforest it's crazy um so yeah i we just, you know, that was one thing after another. And, um, there, there are three elements to the business and it's difficult to be really adept and really tuned in to all the goings ons in all parts. Um, if you only have one silo, because anyone knows at any moment in any resort that you're operating, you're going to have an HR crisis any day, right? Like, Larry doesn't show up to work. Oh God, we got hot tubs that need to be turned. Uh, the power's out in cabin number six. And my maintenance guy's off today. It's 10 o'clock, you know. I mean, these things are just part of the game, yeah, right? Absolutely. So you're you're dealing you're dealing with these we're dealing with these things. Um and that's the part that's never gonna get easy, but um You mentioned three 
components to it. Uh, what really quickly? What are those three components? Well, I think that I think that anybody that's buying land is speculating in a long-term investment, right? And and granted, uh, the Tennessee glamping properties that we have, they're domes, and and so they're they're relatively short-lived. I mean, you get five years out of a dome, you pop a new canvas top on, right? So they could go on for 15 years, um, but the unit itself isn't designed to be immortal. Um, and, but, um, so there's the real estate component. So you're looking, you look for properties that you can improve the value in so that you experience long-term capital gains. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, there's a component where you're, you're trading things that don't work. You're capitalizing on properties that you have that are at peak value. There, there's you're playing the real estate game if you're in multiple places and multiple properties. And you know the other is the uh, design development piece. And since we build everything we operate, it's it's time consuming. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's not you don't snap your fingers and make anything happen. There's you you got to anybody knows it's done septic systems and gotten, you know, handled the utilities uh, to a property, particularly if you're in the West and you don't have city water, you know, uh, getting well water could be 300 foot, 400 feet down. Yep. Yeah. And, and you might have to go through three digs, you know, to get, to hit the well, you know, there in the West. And um, so all those pieces are coming into play. Um, you know, part of it, obviously, is, um, I mean, you're doing a cost-benefit analysis on everything you do. Like, can I get a return on investment on this? Of course. And, and so a lot of it is speculative. And, like, how far do you carry the custom design and decor? Do you put do you put hand paintings in there and pay high prices for hand paintings? Do you, do you, do you, do you know, get a professional photographer and frame the professional photography and put it in there? Does that do people pay for that? Are they willing to pay for that? Can you put the price up there to justify that, right? And so, what I was doing was looking for the main things that people were looking for early on, in in this concept of um, clustered rustic resorts mm-hmm. is the idea that was being born, and just trying to really flesh out each one of the units so that it was a full bodied experience that you would want to have in the mountains, if you know, you could- and if you could rank the top three amenities or things that drive that ADR to the highest degree, what would it be? Because you mentioned, uh-huh. you mentioned basically, are people paying for custom photographs? My, my vote would be no. They don't care if there's a, a hand-drawn painting or not in there that's right they do care about certain other things what what would you think that are the top three things that people are paying that high nightly rate for okay so they're going to tell you on hospitality the number one uh search for amenity is a swimming pool um nothing else even like comes close now we're putting pickleball courts in and stuff like that. We're, we're, you know, we're doing a lot of things to make it more sticky. Coffee shop over here, in a caboose uh, over here at Wahatchee, and um, make it more sticky. Meaning, we got trails on the property. You know, um, 
we have uh, access to water for fishing. We, we have a swimming pool. We have hot tubs at every unit. Um, if you can't get a pool, because it's a expensive and it's a real pain, you know, I mean, building a pool for a commercial environment, there's a lot of hoops to jump through and half of them are on fire. And <laughs> uh, so the, you know, the portable hot tub is a nice surrogate, but you open a world of hurt when you go there, you know, it, it has a 15% effect on occupancy. Mm. Um, but you have to be prepared to deal with the difficulty and the liability. Um, and, and so you don't want to just throw it in place and pretend that pixie dust is going to make it work. Um, you need to understand how to keep a body of water clean. Um, you need to have a plan for turning the body of water over between guests. You know, I mean, all states require that. A lot of people don't do it in the STR segment. They don't turn the body of water over every guest. But it is it is a code that all states have that is required. I didn't know. Um, yeah. the Well, a lot of people, because the STR uh, industry is not as regulated as hotels, right? But um, when you get into kind of a resort complex, they start paying attention. And then you get to learn what all the little state guys are looking for. Um, exactly. Okay, so yeah, the, jacuzzi is you would be number one for you. What would be two and three? Yeah, think about the setting, right? I mean, your your unit is, is it. I haven't been there, but it seems like it's all there out on on its own. Not a lot of uh, light pollution. So you get the you get this majestic Milky Way across the middle of the sky, you know. Um, but I think I think basically people, if if they're not coming for the place, um, what what you've got to do is you've got to have something a little bit more immersive and experiential, like a view. So, People just, with a good view, they just like to sit there for hours, <laughs> drinking coffee, reading a book, yep. right? Yep. And and they and, and, and you look at it online and you look at the listing and you're like, yeah, I'll pay $150 more a night, mm -hmm. you know, to get that. And then, you know, the STR market has been through a lot of change um, yeah. recently. And uh, the, the easy money got a lot of people into the industry that um, were not professionally committed, which is fine. It was great. I mean, it, it just kind of blew the whole thing open. Problem is that we reached saturation and kept going, you know, because so many were being added. And so a lot of people that have SDRs are in panic mm -hmm. now, you know, because a house in town, it's just like every other house that has the Ikea sofa, just like every other house. It You're either in this slaughterhouse war on pricing, you know, and you're running a four bedroom in an urban environment down to 150 a night to try to get somebody in it. Yeah. You know, which is which is a bad bet. Um, or you're yanking it and putting it into long term now, you know. And yeah. so I do think supply will correct itself. But what your podcast about, I think is um, it's about, it's about understanding the whole experience that somebody, so we cater to adventure travelers, right? And, 
And so you want to, you want to think like an adventure traveler. You want, you, you want to think about what they're here to experience, um, and what they want to come back to, you know, after they've been hiking all day or rappelling down a waterfall or jumping off the side of a mountain on a, um, um, you know, a parasail thing, um, they come back and what do they want? And, and, and so, uh, you know, and another, another thing is there's people in the industry that have commodities, like we were talking about with a home, with a Kia sofa, that's kind of a commodity now. Um, we, we're in a different sector altogether because, you know, people are taking time out of their life with people that they want to create memories with because memories create relationships. And, and so this is like a big deal, you know what I mean? And, and they may not be spending a fortune, but to them, it's very important. They only get three days off. They're using it at your property. You know, you really want to be firing on all cylinders and, and you want to hit all their buttons. You want to deliver the experience that they're looking for. And so, yeah, your, your mind is, you know, in a kind of a creative, I, I, obviously you're thinking that way. I, yeah. I, I, Talk to other hosts or people that want to be in this space. It's really, it's really diving into creating the experience. The, the experience has to be in the back. It has to be the, the, the car pushing the, the trailer. It has to be, uh, in the forefront of your mind because at the end of the day, that's what is separating us from being just a house in the city that you're going to book, right? It's going to be mm-hmm. what what do they want to do on the three days that they have off and how can we co- create an experience around hospitality rather than create hospitality and then throwing in an experience. And so it's creating that experience. And I like what you, what you mentioned with number two is that you're taking basically the uh, surrounding area and creating an experience around that. So you're taking the... So that they get to experience it. Exactly. I mean, what they came for, right? If it's the forest, if it's the river, if it's the mountain, you know, if it's the ocean, uh, that's what they came to experience. And, And so you put them right there. You give them, you know, you want to give them theater seating, uh, you know, more or less for, for, uh, for yours, it's theater seating to the Milky Way. I, I, you know, I have a house in Zion and it's kind of nice. I'm far enough out of St. George. Uh, so at night I can, I, I walk out every single night when I'm out there and I just stare up and my neck breaks, yeah, you know, amazing. because I can't get enough, yeah. you know, when the moon goes down. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and those are, those are, those are those high moments in life, you know, when you do something special to get access to those things. I mean, every day we come home to our neighborhood home, we park in the garage, you know, uh, we, we sleep in a bedroom with a window on this one wall and we look at the neighbor out of the window, you know, and, and these are our lives. And so we're, we're going for a whole bunch more, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're going to one of our, one of our, one of our properties, you know, and I will say, um, I didn't mention the third silo. The third silo is, you know, it's, it's the, it's the icky business of running the property, making sure that all mechanical systems are operational, making sure the cleaning standards, making sure that inventory is present when they check in, you know, making sure that they're expert, 
expectations are delivered. And when you multiply that across multiple states and multiple rooms, and multiple, you know, it obviously gets more complicated and you want to standardize as much as you can, but just the uh, communications are a really important thing. And I mean, if you're a property manager, you know that if you communicate the lock-in, the, you know, the, the access code to the customer one way, they're going to get there usually by email. 25% of people don't check their email. So if, if you're sending it by email, they get there and they call you mm-hmm. and they're like, I didn't get my access code. And you're looking at the email that went to them. Yep. I mean, you're, you're like, what do you say? Yes, you did, dumbass. I mean, no. <laughs> you're like, I, you know, I'm sorry, Miss McGillicuddy. Um, let me resend that. Like, how, how about I text it to you? Right yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you really want to profoundly simplify things. Uh, you know, just think about stress points. Even the TV right? Um, you, you get in from your hike, you're, you're pooped beyond belief. You, you got your hot chocolate and you put your feet up and turn the TV on and some, everything's streaming, right? I mean, it's all, it's all um, on demand stuff. And, and then nothing's logged in, right? No big deal. So let me log in. But then you've got all these uh, services cracking down on password sharing. Mm-hmm. And when you're moving geographical locations, now they're cutting you off. Right. And they're just like, Whoa, looks like you're in a different place. Should we relocate your home? No, I don't want to relocate my home. You know, so what we've done is enabled, um, all TVs to cast. So that you just bring your cell phone, you're logged into all your little streaming accounts. It's a great solution. And you just toss it up on the screen. Right. Um, and, and you don't have to log in. And the other thing about people logging in is they always leave it logged in. Then they call you and they're like, oh, God, Can I think un- I left my yep. Netflix logged in. Yep. Yeah. Can you un- okay. So, I mean, we talked about so much just now. I want to I rewind back to the beginning of this conversation. And I want to I pick your brain on how you were able to expand from those eight units to 25 units. How you were able to finance it. Were you cash flowing enough that you could just roll over the money into uh, the expansion? And then, I mean, you've expanded insanely well into different states, into different markets, into more more units. Uh, I would love any insight that you have on how you were able to expand so quickly and and so well while maintaining the the nuance of what makes you special. Right. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to do a pep rally cheerleader. You buy my book and you're going to make a million dollars and you're going to retire by 40 <laughs> BS. That's, that's not my shtick. Uh, Frank, you're not a, you're uh, not every, a guru selling a course. I'm not trying to sell any process. Um, because I, I think, you know, we, we were talking about experiences. I'll use this to make an illustration. Um, when you're creating an experience, there's a whole lot of subjectivity built into it. And you don't know how the guest is going to perceive the the experience that you've put together for them. And there are some things that you could get perfectly right and you put out there and you got 50% occupancy. And then there are other things that you do and you put out in the middle of nowhere where nobody travels to and you can't 
it's never empty. You can't even get inside of it to do a deep clean. You know, I mean, there's the subjectivity side. So there is pixie dust, right? And um, we're guessing, you know, what it is and how you're going to, how you're going to sprinkle this on the guests. Well, it's, you know, in our journey to develop a business, um, I think that most people that have made it by some definition, uh, if they're honest, they're going to say there's a whole lot of luck. You know, I mean, I was the right guy in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, I met the right person, you know, or, you know, if it, if it hadn't been for Larry and his million dollars he gave me. Uh, <laughs> now, I didn't use any of that, but what I did was, um, you know, I have this, I have the retail business, um, which generates cash. And so, and anytime you're growing a business, you're not taking money home generally, right? I mean, it is very expensive to develop new properties and to build new houses and to hold those houses, right? And um, you don't want to get over leveraged because then you have no wiggle room or you can't, you know, prices come down because occupancy has gone down and suddenly you're underwater and you're breathing through a snorkel. And so you want to keep your equity position good. So, I mean, that was the first thing is I've grown organically, you know, I haven't taken anybody else's money. Um, yes, we were able to cash flow a good bit. I took, I took a note. So use the land as collateral to take the first eight. And then once the first eight, there's an improved value and there's, you know, proven cash cycle. I was able to uh, get a little more, but on the next batch, I only borrowed for four. Mm. I didn't borrow on all of them and on the next batch. And, and on, by the time I got to the final batch in Wahatchee, which was five units, I paid cash for all five. Oh, that's amazing. Right. So I'm, I'm maintaining my equity position. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm safeguarding so that I'm not paying out, you know, I don't have this in, in all commercial debts reset every five years, you know, and who knows where it's going to be in five years. So, uh, yeah, so about 40% of the units in Wahatchee have no lean value. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're just their own free and clear. Um, so, so I'm, you know, I'm lucky to be in that position where I had pre-existing asset that generated cash. Now my thinking is I'm getting into my upper forties. I have eight kids. Uh, you know, if I'm going to provide something that's around for my grandkids, uh, it, it can't be chump change, right? I mean, it, it's and and um, so I got to do it kind of on an industrial scale, <laughs> you know, um, more or less. Uh, but and I, it here's what I here's what happened though. What what I saw is that if you study any industry. Um, it's really cool to look at the the beginning of the industry, like where people started. And many, many of them started in their garage. You know, Hewlett Packard was a garage company in California. Um, and that's, but as a, as an industry matures, um, consolidation starts happening. Now, you know, 
you got to decide, do I want to be a swallowed fish or do I want to be a fish that swallows, you know, and if you're going to be a fish that swallows, then you've got to pay attention to the right things that are going to make you competitive, nimble, and create a compelling story to your product. Uh, you're looking for long-term durability, right? Uh, you got to be, you got to be willing to flex very quickly. Um, so if you got something that's not performing, don't get emotionally attached mm -hmm. to it. Let it go. I like that. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it doesn't matter how much of your ego you get tied up in something. Egos sink ships always. I mean, the, the old story about the Titanic is that the men that built it were like, this is unsinkable. They're beating their chests like King Kong. And then half way across the ocean, it's gone, you know? Um, and uh, so, so don't, you know, what we're trying to do is do the right thing. <laughs> it's, it's not to do necessarily what we want. And, and you're going to choke, you know, I mean, you're going to get it wrong and you're going to be like, Oh, that sucks. Um, but somebody wants your suck, you know, I mean, when, when you slip and fall, it suits somebody's purpose somewhere, mm -hmm. you, you know, so you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to offload it. And so there's been a lot of that. I mean, I, I bought a, um, a mountain in North Carolina. Uh, what was it? A year and a half, two years ago, maybe. And it had this home, right? It was on Cold Mountain, and it sat on its own near the peak. It was the there was a secondary peak to Cold Mountain, which is one of the highest peaks in that part of Western Carolina. So I had one of the best views, you know, you've seen anywhere, three hundred and sixty degree views, and um, and I was going to develop this as a high end luxury resort, right? But um, the driveway. You know, as a two mile and a half driveway, you're on the edge of a cliff through parts of the driveway. So every Floridian was shitting bricks that came and, you know, they would write in their review, be prepared for an epileptic seizure, you know, <laughs> and, and that turns people off and, and, um, and it's very remote. And, and so it just didn't take off very well. Well, I love this place, yeah. you know, for for me and my wife to go hang out, we love this place. And just you just sit there and drink coffee till you're shaking, um, because the views are so good. But it was not going to be a financial performer. I mean, it was going to be at best break even. But more likely, I was going to lose fifteen percent annually. Mm. You know, and so as 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 much as I liked it, I just you have to cut you know. it and that's where the ego comes in is is being able to yeah. look at the raw data look at the look at the numbers and make a, a decision that's right. not based off of oh i have a feeling but then make a decision off of the numbers now i do think that that is an art i do think that a, there's a there's a game that we have to play that when creating a property i have this feeling and i have this this concept and this idea that I think is going to work and I need to rely on my gut, but then also be able to know when to pull out of a deal and, and when to rely on looking at the numbers. Or when, yeah. And when to change. I, uh, I, I was on this, uh, Facebook board and somebody put a question about cleaning fees, you know, because you hear all this ruckus about people pissed off, you know, about fees and, and they get really ornery when you say, hey, I want you to do 16 things and pay $200 to clean this house. 
you know, uh, so what, what was, what was interesting is there were about 400 responses to this question on this Facebook wall. It was an Airbnb Facebook wall. And, um, people were like, I feel 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 like, you know, I feel like we did this. I feel like we did better when we did this. Well, we actually conducted an experiment experiment because we have 27 identical cabins, you know, that are all on the same campus. So geographically they're united. Their amenities are united. They all have hot tubs. And, and so what I did was I took, uh, for the cabins, I, I took away the cleaning fee. We upped the price a little bit, you know, on a daily basis. And we put in the headline, no cleaning fee. Right. So all the, um, OTAs, it, it showed in our direct booking site. Cause we get a lot of business through direct bookings, you know? And, um, but anyway, it, 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 um, it did not have a positive effect on occupancy for, for having no cleaning fee. It did not have a positive effect, meaning that's that right. it did not, that's it right. didn't change anything by having no cleaning fee as no. And interestingly enough, I ran a, I ran a counter test. Okay. Where I dropped the price of the no cleaning fee cabins. Okay, because if if your price with the cleaning fee is two hundred dollars a night, and I was charging one hundred and sixty dollars a night for the no cleaning fee, but I'm not charging one hundred and thirty dollars a night for the one with a cleaning fee, but then you have the seventy dollar cleaning fee, so you're at two hundred dollars. So you're on more on a night, but on a three night block, you're better off, yeah. right? But but nonetheless, I dropped the prices so that they were even. Mm. With the cleaning fee and the non-cleaning yeah. fee, so it was. So you're going to pay the remarkably. You're, well, no, you're going to you're going to be cheaper on the non-cleaning fee, no matter what. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, because it, if you stay six days and you have a sixty dollars cleaning fee, that's ten dollars a day, right? So that's ten dollars more a night with a cleaning fee. But if I put the price the same and I eliminate the cleaning fee, you would expect that more of the traffic would move to those units. The opposite happened. Uh, less rentals. Occupancy was down in the four test units when they were altogether cheaper to stay in. But with no so cleaning fee. I, I, I chucked the idea of no cleaning fees altogether, ap- applied it to all properties again, Frank, you we know, have a very but, similar story with that. We did the exact same thing. We took off no cleaning fee for one of our units. We have seven. One of our units, we did no cleaning fee and, and made the nightly rate higher than it was, mm-hmm. and occupancy went down. And so I and we, we had to take a step back and be like, okay, well, everyone, because I had the same thing. Everyone and their mom was like, oh, you have to get rid of your cleaning fee and just make it up and charge a higher nightly rate because these – uh, booking channels are are wanting to promote no cleaning fee, and we we played that game. But I think going back and not having ego and and looking at from a, a business standpoint is is right on track. I think that's a that's a great great idea. Um, you don't you're not like most guests that we interview. So when I talk about the dream team, I talk about 
your cleaning man, your cleaning crew, your handyman, and uh, the lifeblood behind the organization, the people that make it keep on running. I'd love to know who is, do you from a larger uh, corporate structure, do what's your team like handling, do you have a team that handles all of the resorts and all of the bookings uh, from a larger corporate structure? How, how is your business structured to handle all of um, the, the resorts and places that you have? Yeah, anything that you can consolidate, um, you know, you're 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 apt to do so. I mean, uh, money alone makes a hard case for that. So, corporate functions are um, differentiated from uh, local functions, and um, corporate functions are less involved in day-to-day operations. You know, you you have. You have advertising, marketing, website. I mean, that's a behemoth right there. You know, if you're really trying to build a brand, you're pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and creating content. Um, and then you have the finance piece, you know, and honestly, a lot of the hospitality businesses I've bought or gone to buy, it's very Mickey Mouse. You know, when you get to their financials, um, you got to do a lot of filling in, reading between the lines, asking questions. Some of them are so bad that I just walk away. Like I can't trust anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so obviously accounting and is, is a big piece of, of it. Marketing is a big piece of it. Um, operations. So, um, operations would determine, um, the technologies that are adopted, how those technologies are utilized and what the best practices to develop are. Right. And, and then we disseminate those through the team, you know, this is, this is how we're going to do things. And then you make that uniform. Uh, so you have, you have a person or persons conspiring about what is the best way to operate the day to day functions of the business you know, with multiple parties in multiple places. And, um, and what does that look like for you guys? What, what, what's your team consist of from a more corporate standpoint, not the day-to-day on property functions, but from a business. So guest services is another, um, when I say guest services, I'm talking about, um, people that answer email questions, answer the phone when people call, you know, tell people where they can go get a burger, you know, that night, uh, and, uh, and take the call. Oh gosh, the power's out. What do I do? Right. And that's guest services. And, um, so we, we rotate so that somebody's always on, you know, we do seven hour shifts and people rotate and some of the staff works from home. Uh, those that work at night work from home. Some, those that are on during the day, during Monday to Friday, work in the corporate office. Um, nobody, we don't have a desk clerk like a hotel has anywhere in any of the six campuses. Um, so you don't go to an office um, and check in. As a matter of fact, I was standing at the Wahatchee property in Chattanooga the other day talking to my new maintenance head 
and these people are driving exceptionally slow. And I said, that's suspiciously slow. Like they have a question. And he said, yeah, they're probably looking for the office. So I stepped in front of the Buick, put my hands up, stopped them, asked them to roll down the window. I was like, it looks like you want to ask a question, but you were afraid to roll down the window and ask the ball guy the question. So I'm here to answer your question. And they were like, yes, we have a question. Where's the office? I was like, there is none. Um, so, y- you know, you're going to have to call this number. You're going to have to talk to the team. Well, I mean, most STRs are run that way. Yeah. Right. But most hotel resorts are not. Mm-hmm. And we stand right in between. You know, obviously, you're not going to have a lobby when you're checking into a four bedroom home in Salt Lake city, you know, exactly. you're going to go use the electric lock. Um, and we don't, we don't anticipate that. But when you get into a campus with 30 homes and trails and people walking all over and driving all over, you're like, there's gotta be somebody here governing this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, um, so that's one of the pieces that we consolidated. Um, functions when you get to a certain scale like inventory control are very important um you know developing new products that are proprietary that's so product development those are corporate functions um hr is a corporate function how big is your team that you have managing all of the corporate side of it Only about 12. 12. And then, uh-huh. and then you have on-site people that do maintenance and turnovers and, and all of the things that need to be on it. Uh, where is your – and those 12 either work in a corporate office or at home. Where Where's your guys' like home-based corporate? Oh, we're in a, a historic bed-and-breakfast building in, on the side of Lookout Mountain, half a mile from Wahatchee in Chattanooga. And um, most people come into the office every day to work. Um, You know, we can flex. Uh, Carlos, who's in head of operations, when his dog is going nuts, he'll stay home and work. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, but I mean, by and large, um, you know, I see... Um, I'll give you a, for instance, my accounting department was in St. George, Utah, and I'm in Chattanooga. And so, uh, um, my CFO actually moved from Chattanooga to St. George and we set up an office. We had a little warehouse there, you know, we were receiving a product in for the retail store cause I have a retail store in St. George and, um, we, after about a year and a half. I said to John, I was like, you know what? I think that me, the CEO, you, the CFO, our level of communication has depreciated, you know, when we're relegated to Zoom. Um, And I don't think that we're functioning effectively as a team. And he was like, you are going to ask me to move back to Tennessee, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, 
It's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. Yeah. So he did. He moved, he moved back, uh, this summer and we built a new finance team here in Chattanooga. And, um, so yeah, I mean, there is a, there's certainly a benefit, mm-hmm. you know, creative collaboration. Um, and, and, you know, you and I are in the business of bringing people together. That's it. And, and, and so to me, it's, it would be a bit abnormal to say there's nothing important about human contact. Yeah. You know, like if I have an important meeting, like I'm cracking the biggest deal of Timberroot's career, I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to go with wherever the flesh and blood needs to be so that we're close together so that I'm looking them in the eyes and they can trust me and I can trust them and I can know them. You know, zoom covers over that stuff. There's a level of impersonality. Absolutely. It's, it's certainly better than the phone, you know? Um, but those, the real, the real move, real important stuff you need to be in person for. So, you know, I, I'm not a believer that offices are dead. I'm a believer that we work well together and, I completely it's agree. It's distracting, gets on your nerves. <laughs> yeah. So having this big of a organization that is running numerous different properties, 25 keys on one of the the 27 keys in one of the properties and and having I mean you're having probably 50 100 50 to 100 people checking into your properties every day. Um it's about 150. 150. I mean, that's... It, well, every big... You know, every big turn... The big turns are Friday and Sunday. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So those... You'd have like 150 to 200 on a Friday or a Sunday. That's amazing. Now, it sounds like you have an incredible team that supports you and backs you. As the CEO, what is your day-to-day stuff? And then how much of it is... Uh, what's going on in present time and then how much of it is months in the future, years in the future, decades in the future? Yeah. Thank you for asking that because um, I, I had to, I had to learn something about me that, and I think this probably applies to everyone. Um, I really, really, really like to get into the woods and work. You know, I, I mean, I really, I like to cut trails. <laughs> I like to paint. I like to nail. I like to build things. Obviously, I'm not afforded many opportunities to do that. But I'll tell you this, that that in that silo, that all silos, like the operational silo, the real estate development silo, and the construction and design silo, they all have long lead times. Probably the shortest is in operations. But if you're going to migrate to a new PM, PMS, you're going to rebuild your website. Oh, that's, you know, a, you're talking that's about a nightmare. S- we just did it on one of our rentals. We switched yeah, just it, one of six them. Six months. It's crazy. And, and yeah, the learning curve to learn the new PMS in itself is a nightmare. Yeah, and the bigger they get, the more that curve is like this huge arch. So, 
you know, you're, you're planning a PMS move maybe a year in advance, right? But you're planning a resort build maybe two years before breaking ground, and it's a three-year build, mm-hmm. right? So you have a five-year horizon where you can finally say, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm done uh, with that, that part of it. So there's something very difficult of, about finding yourself satisfied. Like, like if everything that I'm doing, if 100% of what I'm doing is cast into the future, then I go home after a string of days and I'm just like, Bleh. I'm like empty. I'm like, you know, this is BS because I feel like I'm getting nothing done. Now, I know, I know in my head, rationally, that everything has to be done five years ahead of time. Okay. So I'm doing these things for five years, you know, reward. Okay. But, but I think that you want to, you know, if, if you're, if you're in the, if you're the visionary type person, not the manager type person, you, 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 you can't just live in the vision. You have to live in reality too. And you're, if you're not satisfying that need, you're going to become altogether ineffective. Mm-hmm. Like even your vision part that's supposed to be the engine of who you are, you know, in the company, it's just going to run out of gas. And, and you're going to be like, and you, everybody probably gets into this when there's, I mean, you, you can get into analysis paralysis, you know, right, where, where you can't make a choice. Or you've got 32 things you could do today, and you freeze up, and you're like, oh, God, which one do I do, right? So, obviously, the ability to narrow down silo by silo, this is where I can be effective today. And then narrow it down and say, this is all I can do today. I need to achieve these things. No, I'm going to... I'm going to focus on this for the two hours that it takes to do this. But as long as you can move it off your desk, you know, move it off the, the, the checklist. Um, there's you're 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 padding your stamina. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. So like what, it, I, what I'm what I'm kind of getting from you is that. Let me t- I'll talk from personal experience. I was always, I've always been the one that before I do anything, I need to know tactically how I'm going to do it. I'm not one to like, yeah, it's just going to get done. Like, we'll figure it out. I'm always like, I need, I need the tactical steps before I move forward because mm. then it's completely in my control. I'm a huge fan of things need, I need to know how to do things in order, like I learned construction because I didn't want to build any homes without the idea of at least knowing how to frame a home, knowing how electrical works, knowing how plumbing works, so that at least can I can talk the jargon of it, talk the nomenclature mm-hmm. of trades. One, so I know I'm not getting ripped off. And two, I can understand the, the bigger play. So I've struggled personally with having the five-year vision, thinking, extending the time horizon, but then also being able to think tactically so i think that there is that's not always the the easiest thing have you always been able to think in longer time horizons and then like as you as you were mentioning knocking off the things off your desk and being able to complete one task at a time 
how, were did you have both of those skills or did you have one of those skills and have to learn the other skill and if you had to learn the other skill what was what do you suggest for someone who wants to learn that skill to how, how would you suggest for a person who wants to learn that skill to learn that skill so how old are you i'm 27 or just turned 28 actually okay. it was just my birthday okay well there's your problem i <laughs> You can't, you can't fix that. I mean, I, I don't mean that as an insult, but what I mean is, is that, that, I mean, we're humans, right? And there's a, there's a generic experience to being human. We go through puberty. We all do, right? I mean, I mean, we fall in love. We all do, you know, um, generally speaking, you know, we have our first baby and our life has changed and blah, blah, blah. There's these, these common experiences, but, um, as you watch life cycle, historic events, relationships, you know, projects, as you, as you just watch this cycle over and over again, your 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 mind naturally changes as as you mature, and in, in your vantage point. So, your appetite for risk at sixty is not going to be what it was at twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it shouldn't be. I mean, you, you probably haven't matured, right? You get, there's a problem if if you're still at 60 and you, you feel immortal. Um, but when what I like to say is, you know, when I was when I was a teen, I thought about that night, what I was going to do that night. When I was in my 20s, I thought about what I was going to do that weekend. When I was in my 30s, I thought about what I was going to accomplish early thirties, like what I was going to accomplish, you know, that year. And then through my thirties, I started to think in two, three year blocks of time. Okay. Now I'm over the horizon. Like I'm, I'm, I'm half, I'm closer to death than I am to birth. Now, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And so fundamentally my vantage point on life has changed and it's wired me to, so I'm looking, I'm literally looking at life. Like what is the world that my grandkids are going to inhabit? Mm. What is the world that I'm going to leave them? What is my legacy? Because I may be gone tomorrow when you're in your twenties, you're not thinking like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you also know that everything has to grow. You know, if you've ever kept a garden, if you've ever grown cows and slaughtered the cows for meat, you don't just, you know, plop a calf out and there you got a mature cow, cow that you're I mean, it's two years and then you got to, then you got to fatten them and marble them and, you know, and, and then you harvest them and, and it's the same thing, you know, with the field. And then if you go at the field too hard and you plant and plant and plant every year, then you got to use synthetic fertilizers and to trick the soil that it's healthy and it's not, you know? And so I, I, I do think that there is an element uh, of having watched time pass that prepares you to just sit with longer blocks, Mm. right? You've been through far fewer five-year periods in your life Mm. than, than I have. And so if you say to me, well, this is five years away. That's a freaking eternity, dude. I'm going to be like, 
are you kidding? My kids were just in diapers and now they're going off to college. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think that the mind matures at its own pace and, and there's wisdom gathered from watching life cycles. But I also think that I do see people that were not half as dumb as I was at their age, mm. you know? Yeah. Like you're probably a lot smarter than I was at 27. I would not. I would definitely not say that. I I but, feel uh, like I'm making but, this up as I go. To be honest with you. Well then, then well good. Then you're in the right place because you're going to be doing that for the next 40 years. Yeah. So get used to it. Yeah. You know, being comfortable in uh, the uncomfortable is is what I what I always say is. We cut. Go ahead. Waiting in the unknown. I right? like that, Frank. I like yeah. that. Waiting in the yeah. unknown. It's like it's it's hard, and and when you're young, it's impossible. Yeah. Like like your kid, you're on a road trip to Florida. Are we almost there? How almost many there? thirty minutes? Yeah. When are we going to be there, Dad? When are we going to? I just told you thirty minutes ago, baby. We're going to be there, and then you finally like we're going to be there when we get there, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You know. So. Switching gears, I think translating that to finances, and and this is strictly like a personal experience that I went through, is when I, when the moment when I wasn't struggling to figure out how I was going to pay my bills every month, like that my that little shift for me, extended, uh, opened up the idea of thinking longer, and I think that the number one thing for me when I was starting my business and where we're at now is being able to look at, oh shit, how, how am I going to pay for, for groceries this year is when I first started or this year, this tomorrow or this month and how I'm going to pay the assistant this month to, okay, the bills are taken care of. What strategic moves am I making? Uh, over the next five years, what 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 moves am I going to make this month that are going to then translate in the next five years? And I think that that ability to think in longer time horizons only stemmed from getting out of the quote unquote rat race and and being able to think a, a longer in longer time horizons. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like like a a society that's poor doesn't make time for art because art doesn't pay, right? They're just trying to eat. Don't give me a painting. I can't eat it, you know? Um, So as, as a, as a civilization becomes wealthier, they become more distracted, philosophical thinking. They got time to sit around and ponder, you know, they got time to sit around and debate. They got time to sit around and create. So naturally, I think that as, as you achieve margin, you know, you also achieve security. So you become less worried. Yeah. But I also think that that can happen in the reverse. I don't have kids. I want kids one day, but I don't think you're ever ready to have kids. I think when you, you, I agree with that. When you have kids, you figure it, figure it the fuck out. And so I think, absolutely. And so I think that there is also that same little piece there that, security and time on this planet allows you to have the knowledge 
to extend the time horizon, but also being thrown and the necessity level forces you to have that as well. So I think that there is a balance on both sides. Right. I agree. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. You can achieve, you, you can achieve a, a more disciplined visionary mind younger. Um, it, it can be done. It is a discipline, like you said, and sometimes it's just luck, you know? So what I mean by that is, um, if you're born lucky, you're born to a rich family that gives you a million dollars to start with. That's freaking lucky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not like you did anything spectacular. Um, and I, and uh, one of my mentors, uh, I have relate, relates a lot of things to poker. And he says that you were given a hand and you have to play the hand that you were given. And people can win with pocket aces. They can also win with a 2-7. People can lose with pocket aces or they can lose with a 2-7. You have to play the hand that you were given to the best of your ability. And I, I, I think yeah, I Yeah, but you also have to – it takes some wisdom to discern what that play is, right? Mm-hmm. And, okay. and every success is marked by failure. So you're going to get it wrong. You may be, you know, if you've got five options and you don't know the answer, you've got a 20% chance of getting it right. You may be lucky enough to get the answer right, but more likely you're going to get it wrong. And then you're going to look at why you got it wrong. And you're going to say, ah, now I see it better. Now I see it clearly. This is how I'm going to do it differently. And that percentage changes you know? from 20 to now 40% likely. That you're That's, right. Right That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So process of elimination. Exactly. Frank, we've been talking yeah. so much, man. I want to end it off yeah. with one, uh, one piece of advice that you would give someone who wants to create an experiential travel uh, destination, a resort of what uh, a, a similar type of resort that you offer. What would you would embark a piece of advice with well what i mean are we pretending that they have the money so we're i mean i i just i i think that um there are so many factors that go into that obviously achieving the means it's one of the factors. And the weirder you get, the harder it will be. You, you know what I mean? But at you the don't, same time, you the don't... more profit will be most likely. That's right. That's right. But you don't go up to a bank and say, hey, I got whiskey barrels I want people to sleep in. Uh, <laughs> Imagine know. the first guy who said, I built a, a grown adult treehouse. And people are going to pay me yeah. a lot of money to stay in it. <laughs> and they are. Yeah. 450 a night, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I obviously, um, it's like you said, you want to, you want to know how you're going to do it when you go in. Um, I think though that, um, what you're looking for, it are the touch points that convey the sensation of either luxury or um, the, the, the emotional sensation 
I don't know. Maybe it's safety. You know, like maybe that's the deep emotional core we're looking to hit. Mm. But all you got to do is get on Instagram and start looking at the reels of what all these creative little uh, Airbnb people are, or these SDR people are advertising. And they all have the same sort of stick. You know, they got the selfie on a stick and then there's a woman in a flowing silk dress that walks out onto the balcony. The wind's blowing, you know, and, and, and then she looks back at the camera, you know, and then she shows you the door anyway. There's this whole, this, this whole stick. So you don't want to, you don't want to fall into the rut, but there are elements of that that are speaking to what people's hearts are longing for. What is it in that, that they're after, you know? And, and I think that, I think the good move is if you understand what those motivational emotions are, then you understand there's a lot of different ways to speak Mm. to it. Like, you're not captive to the fad of the moment. Cause can you imagine like, let's say my, my little wagons, let, let's say they made a million dollars a year, you know, each wagon just printed money. Well, and everybody was like, I, I just want to make a lot of money. Then everybody would get wagons. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then, and then instead of 350 a night, you'd have a hundred dollars a night yeah. because it'd be so many freaking wagons. It'd be a commodity. Yeah. And that, you know? and that and that I think is the most important part is when you providing enough value so that you don't compete for commodity but are competing on experience and value that you're offering because Absolutely. it's not a yeah. race to the bottom then. It's a race to the most elevated experience which justifies then your nightly rate. You hit the nail on the head. See, you're a lot smarter than I was at 27. No, absolutely a not. A lot. Oh, I have, I have. A lot. You didn't have Frank May to learn from Frank May when you were 27. Well, <laughs> I was, I had Tom May, but I was dumber than a box of hammers, and I didn't want to listen to what Tom <laughs> had to say. <laughs> well, Frank, I appreciate your time, man, and I appreciate you being on the podcast. I know that to all of the listeners out there, this was nothing like our normal podcast, but, I mean, you had so many beautiful beautiful nuggets in there and so many uh, incredible insights on how to actually where where everyone wants to be i feel like your your light years i started this with saying that your light years ahead of majority of the people in this space and and it's amazing to learn from you and uh, be able to pick your brain well thank you thanks it was uh, it was a pleasure i don't i don't usually get to put experience into words you know and and so it's kind of it's kind of a treat to like huh you know, I can actually package this experience in a way that people understand it and help somebody. Wow, that's cool. You know, so, 